0: He just prays for us, but I I wanted to pray for him today and ask all of us to kind of lift him up as uh, he brings us the word. So Lord, thank you. Thank you, first of all, that you are a holy, just, and righteous God. And thank you for your great love for us, that you pursue us, whether we're doing well or whether we're doing terrible. That uh, your love is a compassionate love that, uh, that draws us into who you are. That's demonstrated uh, most clearly in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Father, thank you also for your word, which is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And Lord God, thank you that your word is all-powerful, that it's living, and that it is sufficient for everything that we go through. Father, thank you for uh, just anointing Brooks uh, to be able to teach from your word. We pray today that you'd fill him with your spirit, that you would strengthen him, that he would preach with great joy that he would preach with conviction. And Lord, that uh, you would help him to say what he should and that he wouldn't say what he shouldn't. And uh, God, just pray that you would open our hearts wide to hear from your word and to hear your Holy Spirit and not just take it in and grow lazy in knowledge, but to truly apply it so that experientially we know your deep, everlasting love for us. So we pray these things today in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Dave. I don't think it was my imagination, but when he said, Lord, help him not to say the things that he shouldn't, I heard just kind of this murmuring laughter, and I don't know what that means. Actually, I do know what that means. Those of you who laugh, it's like, you're not new to Grace, so Um, those of you that are new to Grace, you're intrigued by the fact that everyone laughed at that. Well, welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm glad that you're here, whether you are here for the first time or whether you've been coming for... Uh, quite some time uh, welcome i 'm glad that you 're here. If you were not here last week, we made a big big announcement uh, for Grace Community Church. Uh, we purchased about fifteen acres of land in North Liberty on kansas avenue and that 's all i 'm going to say about that because all of that is on the web, uh, so you can go and find out uh, why we did that um, what uh, what we 're doing with it for this year what what we're praying for in the future, but I want to encourage you to check out the website. There's a write-up on that, and then you can uh, direct your questions to uh, our executive pastor, Josh Havman. So we're going to start something new next week. It's a new series. It's called Searching for Answers, Encountering Jesus. Now, the reason we're doing that is because it's our desire to see See, you equipped so that you can reach your friends, your neighbors, so that we can reach people in this community for Christ. So this is designed to that end. So we're going to start a new series next week. We're also going to start a new practice. Uh, During the service, during the service, I usually get up and I will read the scripture like I'm about to do here in just a bit. And then I'll begin the message. Starting next week, we're going to incorporate into the flow of the service, scripture reading, where someone else will get up and read the scripture, and then we will get going. So I know it's a small change, but I just want to prepare you for that. So we're going to begin this morning in Mark chapter 9. So open your Bibles to the ninth chapter in the 2nd book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. We're going to pick it up in verse 14, and I'm going to read 14 through... 21 14 through 21 And when they had when they came to the disciples they saw a great crowd around them the scribes arguing with them and immediately all the crowd when they saw him were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and greeted him and he asked them what are you arguing about with them and someone from the crowd answered him teacher i brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I Believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that, a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he'd entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you in humble adoration and dependence. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing And Lord, we know that your word is given to us by inspiration from the Holy Spirit. And Father, we, like this demon-possessed boy's father, we look at uh, the world we live in, and it looks hopeless. And we do believe, and sometimes we don't. And Lord, I'm asking you to help us overcome our unbelief. For those who have been following you for years, give them greater faith. For those who have yet to take their first step in following you, call them to faith. Father, we cry out to you because we desperately need you. And I pray, Lord, that you would use the preaching of your word so that Christ would be lifted up, that he would be exalted this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here at Grace Community Church, it is our mission to be and to make disciples. It's just a rephrasing of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded. So our vision here at Grace is that every single person here at Grace Community Church would become actively engaged as a fully devoted disciple of Christ. You heard Dave mention the discipleship pathway. That's that's something that you're going to hear a lot about uh, in the years to come, the the months and the years to come. It's 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 how we want to help each other get along that pathway so that we can begin becoming fully engaged followers of Christ and not just sometime attenders of a church service, but engaged disciples. Now, as disciples, as we've learned over the last three weeks, that we are called to place our faith in Christ. And so we've looked at the essence of the truth of the gospel and the truth of the gospel, which is the good news of, 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 this, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, is this. Through grace, received by faith, if you're in Christ... You're a new creation. You're a new creation. So that means that you you are forgiven by God. And, and not just forgiven by God, but you are also declared righteous in Christ. So God looks at you, and he doesn't see you according to your failures. He doesn't see you according to your sins. Your sin is not held against you. It's taken away. It's put on, the, on, on Christ on the cross. And he's, he's taken that away, and it's separated as far as the east is from the west. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And because you've received Christ as Savior, you've been brought into a relationship with Jesus and one another. So we are the family of God, not just Grace Community Church, but all local churches everywhere. Wherever there is a Christian, wherever two or three are gathered, the Holy Spirit is in their midst. So so we are the body of Christ. We're a community. We, uh, We depend on one another. And he's given you and he's given me. He's given us gifts that we're to use to build each other up. But he's also given us a mission. He's made us ambassadors for Christ. He's made us ambassadors for Christ. He's entrusted us. He's entrusted us with a message of reconciliation and he expects and he charges and he commissions us as a body and you as individuals and me as an individual to take that message of reconciliation out into the culture. And so Jesus gave this promise to his band of disciples before his death, burial and resurrection. He says to Peter, I tell you, you're Peter and on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here's a promise to the church. Nothing can stand against the advancement of the kingdom through the people of God. And when I hear things like that, I get all jacked up. I'm easily easily uh, uh, driven to emotional extremes, anger or joy or passion. I'm one of those people that uh, you, 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 know, you give me a good speech and you hear Jesus preaching. I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. And that's just kind of the way I am. And we hear stuff like that, and that's an inspiring quote. Until you get to the gate. It's kind of like Mike Tyson, the famous boxer. He said, everybody has a plan in boxing until you get punched in the face. And once you come up against that gate, you don't really remember Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You're only dealing with the present reality. And in the scripture we just read... They are dealing with a supernatural force of evil that they do not know how to overcome. So they asked Jesus, why could not we cast this out? And he said to them, this kind, he identifies it. He says, this kind, as different from the other kinds, he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, some manuscripts add and fasting. So if you have a King James Bible, it will read, this kind comes only out by prayer and fasting and but some the older manuscripts, which are translated into English, don't have that. Whether it's just prayer or prayer and fasting, the essence here is still the same. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't do this in your own strength. So as we, as a church, and you as individuals, seek to be new creations and live out your new identity in Christ, you seek to be an ambassador in the culture that God has placed you, wherever you work, wherever you live, your community, and you want to be a witness for Christ... The demon's deeper. We must do two things. We first of all have to end, come to an end of ourselves, and we must take Jesus at his word. We have to come to the end of ourselves, recognize that we can't do anything in our own strength, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So let's get to this. Coming to the end of ourselves. That's the first segment we're going to spend some time on this morning. How do we come to the end of ourselves? So here's the text. We just read it. This is the end. When they entered the house, the disciples came and asked privately, why couldn't we cast it out? Why, why did we fail? What are we doing wrong? Jesus says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, the bullet points here are two different sermons which are related. Fifteen years ago, I was listening to a lecture by Tim Keller. It was part of a, a Desiring God national conference, and the theme was how do you reach postmodern culture with the gospel? postmodern culture with gospel and tim keller preached the message the supremacy of christ and the gospel in a postmodern world and he used this text mark chapter 9 and the story of the demon possessed boy right but he drew heavily on a sermon that he listened to as a young pastor by martin lloyd jones in 1959 now The occasion for Martin Lloyd-Jones' passage or preaching, which he preached on the same text that we're looking at this morning, was the 100-year anniversary of the 1859 Welsh Revival in England. So there was a sweeping revival where thousands and thousands of people came to Christ all at once in a way that really took a hold of the entire nation. And so the occasion for Jones's preaching on on this topic was revival, and what had God had done in in the past. Now Keller's point was that he was drawing uh, off of uh, off of Jones's sermon in a way that's relevant for our time. So I'm going to quote Martin Lloyd Jones here. I'm quoting Keller, quoting Jones, who was quoting Jesus. So there's no new truth; it all goes back eventually to Jesus. But just follow along here. So. Here's Jones talking about this passage that we're looking at and what it means culturally for him in 1959, for Keller in 2006, and certainly for us in 2021. You ready? Here in this boy, I see the modern world. And in the disciples, I see the church of God. I see a very great difference between today and 200 years ago or even indeed 100 years ago. The difficulty in those earlier times was that men and women were in a state of apathy. They were more or less asleep. There was no general denial of Christian truth. It was just that people did not trouble to practice it. And all you had to do was then awaken them and to rouse them. But the question is whether that is still the position. What is this kind that Jesus speaks about? What is this kind? The kind of problem facing us is altogether deeper and far more desperate. The very belief in God is virtually gone. The average man today believes that all this belief about God and religion and salvation is an incubus on human nature all through the centuries. And Keller goes on to, to preach and during this lecture that there's a great difference between the church and the culture that the church ministered to in times previous and the culture that the church ministers today. And, and to quote to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones and Keller, today, today, the demon's way deeper. The demon is way deeper. It's different. It's different. So we have to come to uh, an end of ourselves. Coming to an end of ourselves, the demon is deeper. They, they ask, why couldn't we cast this out? He says, this kind, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, that, that means that they had encountered other kinds, and they were successful. They were surprised that they couldn't figure this one out, but in the past, they could. So let's take a look at where we're at today. I don't know if you like bumper stickers, but the evolution of the bumper sticker, I saw this one in Costco parking lot just Friday. Now, you know what the Ixthus is, right? The fish symbol. Means follower of Christ. It's been around for 2,000 years, right? So sooner or later, some clever person drew legs on the Ixthus and then put evolution in the fish. And so that was a thing for a while. And then, of course, you see the other, other bumper stickers like Coexist, where you have all the different symbols of, of different. I think that came out about 20 years ago. And that you still see that a lot. And this is the first time I saw this one just Friday. So we're moving in a direction that's trajecting in a not-so-good way. That's that's not just apathy towards Christianity. That's, I'd like to see Christians skewered. Odin, for those of you who don't know Odin, it's Thor's dad, so, from the Marvel comics. He's a Norse god. So that's where we're at. That's our culture today. That's our culture today. The demon is certainly different. Now, the past, the past didn't look that way when things seemed easy. So back in the day, if we look back to Luke chapter 5, I want you to turn there real quick. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus gives them his his commission. Actually, it's Luke chapter 10, not 5. Luke 10, he tells the apostles in in verses uh, 5 through 8, he sends them out. He sends them out and he says, I want you to go out. I want you to preach the kingdom. I want you to heal the sick. And I want you to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and cast out demons. And they do. They go out. And then in, in, when they come back in verse 17, verse 17 the 72 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So they'd experienced a measure of success. Jesus gave them a task. Go do this. They did it. They were successful. They were successful. In our context, we've been given a text. If you were here last week, the text that we looked at was 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 through 21. You and I are new creations in Christ. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God, God now counting our sins against us. And he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And he says, you are my ambassadors. Now go be ambassadors. Go make disciples, right? And so the church has, by and large, done that. And the gospel has spread out all over the world all over the world and we are used to living in a really a predominantly christian nation ish not so much anymore but in the past in the past what constituted bringing people into the kingdom was as martin lloyd jones said was arousing them out of their apathy in other words in generations past People knew who God was, knew who Jesus was, knew sin was a deal, and believed that someday they were going to stand in front of this this God and so the church, by and large, their task was just to rouse people to awaken them to what they kind of already intellectually knew, maybe didn 't believe in, but they had the pieces of the puzzle right and so and how did they do that well, the church would uh, it, and have great campaigns to invite people into church. And still, you know, invite your friends to church. We're starting a new series next week, right? So that's a good thing. But people would invite these people to church and, and they would come. And, and then that, uh, they would have things like crusades started by um, D.L. Moody, famous evangelist in, in the 19th century. And that was in, perfected by Billy Graham. And those are crusades where an evangelist would speak to hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And, and, and they would preach the word of God in a non-church context and thousands of people would come, sometimes millions of people over the years had come to Christ. And then the development of, of evangelism training, like with Campus Crusade and, and, uh, um, and Gospel Explosion, where you teach people in a very concise way, here's the bullet points of the gospel, the Romans Road, or the four spiritual laws. And So you share these, share the points of the gospel. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life but man is sinful and separated from God. And, but Christ took that sin to the cross and, and, and we can receive him by grace through faith. So the four laws. And, and so that was an effective tool and God used things like that. And then in the nineties, seeker sensitive services where churches are like, okay, let's, let's lower the barriers for those who are non church so they can start coming to church and feel comfortable. And so you saw the rise of the mega church and you saw, you saw this and that. and, And now here we are, now here we are, with bumper stickers of Odin skewering Jesus. Doesn't look like our culture is following, following in a trajectory that looks altogether promising. So what has happened is we have come up against the gates. This kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, some of you are like, you might be uncomfortable thinking, "Mm, it seems to me you're equating unbelief with demon possession. Therefore, anyone who is not a Christian is possessed by a demon and evil. No, not at all. That is not at all what I'm saying. I'm using this passage in Mark 9 somewhat allegorically. But here is the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, if the gospel is veiled, that is, people don't see it, they don't believe it. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. What is Paul saying? All unbelief, all unbelief is the supernatural work of the enemy. That does not mean that people who don't believe in Jesus are demon-possessed. And it doesn't mean they're evil in the sense that you think of evil. In fact, I think the testimony bears this out. How many of you know people who are atheists who are actually far nicer than some of the Christians you came to church with this morning? Yes, you know people like that. that they're not demon-possessed. However, they cannot see the beauty of the gospel. It's veiled. They just can't see it. And why? Because the enemy is at work. He's at work culturally. He's also at work uh, he's also at work in, in, in individuals' lives to keep them from seeing the beauty of the gospel a couple different stats here. From 1937 to 1998, uh, the, the the percentage of people in America that were members of a church held steady for all those years at 70%. So that means over two-thirds of everyone in the United States was a member of a church. That's a really high number. That's a really high number. But from 1998 to or 2018 that 70 percent went down to less than 50 percent in just in just 20 years that's a significant drop now what has increased over the years are the nuns He said brooks you mean the catholic church ladies are no no i'm not talking about nuns with habits n-o-n-e-s the nuns constitutes 25% of our population. Nuns are, I do not believe in God. I'm agnostic. I have no affiliation with any type of religion whatsoever. So in the box, they check none of the above. Twenty That's one quarter of our population. Less than half are participants in any church and a quarter of our population are nuns and that population is growing. Generation Z, it's the predominant, group in generation z so we're no longer a christian nation yes we were founded by christians less than half are professing christians and there's a growing population that don't believe in anything at all now why does this matter there's no framework to process the gospel how many of you are familiar with the four spiritual laws excellent evangelism tool Take the four spiritual laws, sit down with a nun, and say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And what's the response? I don't believe in God. Where do you go from there? But we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Law number two. Law number two I don't believe in personal sin. You say that this is the standard of righteousness. Well, there is no God, therefore, there is no standard. You're done. You, you can't go any further. The demon's deeper. That's Martin Lloyd-Jones' point. That's Keller's point. That's Jesus' point. The demon is deeper. Now, some of you are like, well, Brooks, you're a pessimist. You're you're pessimist. And sometimes I can be. I don't think I'm a pessimist. I think more I'm a realist, actually. But some of you will point to the, the success that you see in some churches. Well, let's just take, let's just take church growth in general. I can't speak for another church, but I'll speak for Grace Community Church. When I first started coming to Grace in 1988, we were a church of about 70 people. And then we came and we built here back in 1994, and then we were a church of about 200 people. And then we were 500, and then we were 1,000, and then we were 1,300. And then COVID happened, and we're back down about 700 on a Sunday morning. So how do you explain all that growth over the years pre-COVID? Well, people came to Jesus. Oh, did they, though? I don't, I don't dispute that, but let's take a look at who the church is primarily reaching. And I think that this is true of Grace. I think it's true of most all churches in the West. I'm not talking about South America or Africa or Asia. I'm talking about the United States. So, who is the church primarily reaching? The number one group of people that have come to Grace over the last 20 years and made Grace Community Church their home are Christians that move into the area. Now, non-scientific poll. How many of you came to the area and that's how you found Grace? Okay? That's not an insignificant number of people. You already knew Jesus and you came to this church. You were looking for a church when you moved here. By the way, that's a good thing. Churches should do that. We want to have a church that is available to people that move into the area. The second group of people are Christians who are dissatisfied with their current churches. Do not raise your hand if you fit that category. (laughs) Okay? But I will tell you that there are many people who used to go to a different local church in the area, but they don't go to that local church anymore. They come to this church. And since COVID started, we've had a number, hundreds maybe, that used to come to grace, and they don't go to grace because they don't like the way we did things. And you know what? So be it. But the point is that increase, that increase in church growth for those first two groups, those are just Christians moving. Moving from one church to another or moving one location to another. The third group of people are people that were raised in the church, but we're not yet Christians until later. Um, so last weekend at uh, the downtown service, heard an awesome testimony of uh, of, of a girl named Haley, and she's um, newly married and she just recently graduated last year. But her testimony goes like this: It's probably many of yours. So I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I went to church occasionally. I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. I didn't understand the gospel. Then I came to the University of Iowa and then I was invited to a Bible study, and then I understood the gospel, and I recognized that Christ is my savior and I trusted him as my savior and here I am and now I'm saved. Okay, now now that testimony is someone who was raised in the church and they had the framework of all of all the pieces of the puzzle. Make sense? So they were raised in the church, and some of you are like, Well, Brooks, I've heard your testimony, you're not like that. You weren't a Christian. Ah, yes, but I didn't have an Odin sticker on the back of my car either. Who was I? I was Christ haunted. That's a term that I borrowed from Tim Keller. Christ haunted. Who are the Christ haunted? They have a Christian worldview minus Jesus. So when I came to the University of Iowa and, and I was first invited to church, I already believed there was a God I already believed that sin was a thing. I already believed that Jesus was the son of God. I had no idea what that meant. And I had no idea how all of that related personally to me. But I had all the pieces. You get it? Christ haunted. Now, I'd never been to a church one time in my life. Pray tell where I gathered all those little pieces. Hmm? From the culture from the predominantly Christian culture. We were a Judeo-Christian culture, and that was normative. So all I needed... I was dead in my sins. I needed the Holy Spirit. But the role of the church was simply to help me see how these things fit together. But the demon is deeper now. The demon is deeper. I was watching a show called Clarkson's Farm... It's uh, on Prime. He's a, a rich British television personality. He used to do Top Gear, this, this uh, radio show, and then became the uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So he's the Regis of, uh, of, of Great Britain. And he has a 1,000-acre farm that he's owned for decades that someone else farmed. Well, this person retired, and, and he's not doing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire anymore. So he's like, how hard could it be? I'll farm it and we'll bring a production crew, and they'll tape it. It's excellent TV. By the way, you farmers, you'll love it to watch this guy struggle and get his... his. Uh, remember what Dave prayed? He answered the prayer. I'm not going to say what, I, what, what first came to my mind. So anyway, he gets his hat handed to him many, many times. Fabulous, fabulous TV. Um, and there's one, one scene in there where he's building a pond, and he's... He's excavating all this land out, and now he's diverting this creek, and this water's flowing into his pond. And so he's with his assistant, this 21 year old British guy, who actually knows farming. Otherwise, he'd be sunk without this guy. And his name is Caleb. And so he's like, uh, Jeremy's like, Behold, water! I am Moses! And then Caleb says, Who the blank is Moses? And Jeremy Clarkson, this older British guy, says, Moses, he's the guy who God spoke to out of the burning bush who sent him to Egypt to deliver his people from Egypt who were in bondage for 400 years, and God sent, used him to send the ten plagues upon Egypt for their gods, and then he drew them out of Egypt, and then he brought them to the edge of the Red Sea, and and Moses lifted up his staff, and the waters parted and stood up on both ends, and the the whole nation went through the Red Sea onto the other side. Immediately, Caleb says, that's bull... (laughs) Who doesn't know who Moses is. The next generation, the nuns. I read an article, uh, Caleb, um, Zach, our worship leader, uh, Caleb's a guy who doesn't know who Moses is, but Zach, <laughs> Zach knows who Moses is, fortunately. But Zach was, we were talking about this this week, and he said that, that, that um, English literature professors are, are struggling in in teaching the new generation of people who come to their secular universities because most of English literature has a presupposition that you have the puzzle pieces of the Judeo-Christian worldview. So trying to teach a a, a book like Milton, uh, Paradise Loss. Uh, I read this in in Reuters 2009 article. These, These professors are having fits because students don't know who Adam and Eve are. These are intellectual people. These are people who score high on SAT and ACT, but they do not have an understanding of, of the basic framework of the puzzle pieces that, 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 that we all take for granted, the demons deeper. So how do, you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Well, not very well, evidently. As you see the trajectory of the number of people that are the church is declining and the, and the nuns are growing... And it's not just that people are apathetic towards Christianity. They're hostile towards Christianity. Would you agree with that? Our culture is becoming more and more hostile with with the Christian faith. So I don't know if all of you find this depressing. I'm hoping that you do. At this point, my goal has been to singularly drive you to a point of I'm absolutely depressed and why did I come to church this morning? If you're there, I've succeeded so far. But that's not where I want to leave us. I don't want to leave us. So now let's shift and begin to take the Lord at his word. Remember, they failed. They couldn't do it. And and, and Luke records, Luke records that not only couldn't they cast the demon out, but they were being physically accosted by the young boy. They They were getting their rear ends kicked. They were being beat up. Not only couldn't they do it, they were also being beaten up. He says, why couldn't we do it? And he says, this kind comes out only by prayer. Okay, stop. Jump to Mark chapter 9. You got your Bibles open? Okay. Jesus says this kind comes out only by prayer. Who prayed? I got all morning. Who prayed? The dad prayed. See, many people assume it's Jesus. Well, we know it wasn't the disciples. And the next assumption is, well, obviously Jesus is the one that... He's the one who cast out the demon because he said... be gone. So you might make the assumption that Jesus prayed. We have no record of Jesus praying. We know he prayed all the time. We know he wakes up early in the morning and withdraws to pray in lonely places. So he prayed throughout the day. He probably prayed, but he didn't pray audibly. What is prayer? Prayer is someone who comes to God when they can't meet their own needs. So let's take a look at the text. Jesus asked the Father, How long has he been this way? From childhood. Often cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and heal us. And Jesus said to him, If you can. Now, I've often read this and thought Jesus is quoting him back because it isn't quotations. If you can. So he's quoting the Father. The Father said, If you can, please do something. And Jesus said, If you can. I've always thought that is maybe as a question, if you can, are you saying if you can, like I'm like, I can't, I'm not sure that that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you can, he's putting it back on the dad. He's putting it back on the dad. and He says, if you can, and then he says, all things are possible for one who believes. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out. What does cry out mean? it means that there is pathos and emotion. There's heart behind what he's saying. What's he say? I believe, help my unbelief. That's schizophrenic. Does he or doesn't he? Yes, he does. He's the only one that asks for anything in this whole story. If you can, please have compassion on us and heal my son. Jesus says, if you can, I could do all things. I could do all things for one who believes. I believe, help my unbelief. This prayer, this prayer is born out of hope mixed with despair. And I will say that in the past, I believe the church believed that their mission was possible. All you got to do is have a building and some decent preaching that doesn't stink and have good worship music and programs and people. If you build it, they will come. They'll watch baseball. They'll come to a church and people will fill your church and the, and the whole culture will come to know Jesus. Oh, the demons much, much, much deeper. Now the world is not flocking to come to our churches. And the church is becoming more and more secluded and, and, and actually afraid to interact the culture. How many of you would be excited about sharing your faith with the guy who has the Odin sticker on the back of his truck? That's intimidating. That's intimidating. So we come to the place where we're like, we're not winning. We're not doing it. We're failing. We're getting our rear ends kicked in. We're getting run over. We've come up against the gates of hell and we've shaken the gates and we've fallen backwards. We're not moving forward. Jesus says, this kind comes out only by prayer. So we have to reach the point of despair like this father. And then the beauty of this is, look at how pathetic his prayer is. Does this guy sound like a man of great faith to you? No. But this is an example of great faith. Why? Because he dares to take Jesus at his word. He does. Some of you have kids who have wandered from Christ and you've tried everything. You've told them what you believe. You've brought them to church. You've had the youth pastor talk to them. You've done this, you've done that, and you've grown to the point of despair for your child or, or the loved one that, that, that doesn't know Christ. And you do believe that God could save them, but you're not sure that he will. Pray. I do believe, but I, you know what? I don't. Tell him the truth about what is real in your heart. Some of you are self-loathing addicts. You can't can't get this right. You can't put one foot in front of the other. You've sworn a thousand times you'll never go back to porn, but there you are again. You've sworn a thousand times you're not going to pick up and and just stuff your face full of food, but there you are again. You've sworn a thousand times you're not going to blow up at your kids, but there you go again. Again and again. And you do believe that God can and does have the power to change you and transform you. But you don't. So what do you do? You say, Father, I believe but I don't believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And for some of you, you are at the absolute end of your rope in your relationship with your spouse. Your marriage is hanging by a thread over the fire. And it is almost gone. And you do believe, but you don't believe that God has the power to change you and give you the heart to to do what it takes to make this marriage work. And you do believe, but you don't believe that God could or might change your spouse. You do believe, but you don't believe. And then here we are, Grace Community Church. Somewhere between Coralville and North Liberty on the edge of Iowa City in a culture which predominantly is growing hostile and more hostile towards the the God that we follow and people who follow Jesus. And we've been given a charge to be ambassadors for Christ and we've been told that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and we've been challenged and we challenge ourselves to share our faith and we do believe that God could use us but we don't believe that God will. True? True? The Lord, what He already knows about your heart, Lord, I believe for about a millisecond until i don't would you help me overcome my unbelief? What does He do for the Father when his father when the Father cries out? He responds, "Jesus is drawn, I love this, I absolutely love this. Jesus is drawn." To weak people who admit they're weak. Do you fit that category? I guarantee you, if this church is filled with weak people who know they're weak, who have the good sense to call out to the Father to give them strength that they don't have, the Father will answer. The Father will answer. So here's an assignment. Just pray this throughout the week. We introduced these last week. You can get more of these, or little cling-on stickers. Begin with prayer. That's where it starts. Begin with prayer. And the prayer of the week is I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. For some of you, that's coming to Christ. I do believe, but I don't think you're I just sometimes I don't. Cry out. Ask the Lord to save you. But for those of you that know Christ, well, actually those who don't, either way, two things I want you to think about. Number one, what about the gospel? Do you believe but don't? Some of you believe that the truth of the word is true and that God has forgiven those who have come to Christ, but you don't feel forgiven. You've heard that God loves you, but you can't believe that he loves you personally. I don't know what it is. You've heard that you're righteous in Christ, but you don't believe that you're righteous in Christ. What is it that you have a hard time believing about the gospel? Bring that to the Lord. Cry out to him. Lord, I do believe, but I don't believe. And then secondly, and write this down. Ask the Lord, who do you believe God could save but probably won't? I guarantee you that every single one of you knows someone that you believe in your heart that if God wanted to save them, that God could, but he probably isn't going to. Why? Why? Why, why won't God save them? You say, well, Brooks, you don't know them. It doesn't matter. You do. Why won't they? Why wouldn't God save them? <sighs> yeah, why won't he? I remember in 1997, I went to the mayor's prayer breakfast up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And the guest speaker for the morning was ex-Iowa linebacker, ex-Minnesota Vikings linebacker and Hall of Fame linebacker, Wally Hilgenberg. Some of you are familiar with the Hilgenberg name. A lot of Hilgenbergs played football at Iowa and then went on to play in the NFL. But Wally Hilgenberg played football here at the University of Iowa in the 60s, and my dad was on Wally's team. And, and uh, I listened to Wally give his testimony how he came to know Jesus and so I called up my dad I said dad listen to Wally Hilgenberg give his testimony how he came to Christ first thing out of my dad's mouth well if Wally Hilgenberg is a Christian it has something to do with money why would my father say that because no one voted Wally Hilgenberg most likely to follow Jesus in fact his teammates in 1976 had a bible study And on this weekly Bible study, these Minnesota Vikings, the purple people eaters back then, they're all getting together and these these guys in the Bible study, they're they're praying like, who's the least likely guy on the Minnesota Vikings team to accept Jesus? Unanimously. Wally Hildenberg. He's a total jerk. Hence my father's judgment. Well, if Wally's a Christian, it's because of money. And they began to pray week in and day in and day out that Wally Hildenberg would come to Christ. No one believed that he would come to Christ. Least of all his teammates. But they went before the Father and they said, Father, we do believe, but we don't believe because no one like Wally Hilgenberg would accept you. He's too proud. He's too mean. He's too greedy. He's made, All of these things. He's a great teammate. We love having him on our side. But he's an enemy of the cross. And then 20 years later, here he is with a sport coat and a tie in front of a bunch of Christians telling people how he was the least likely guy to come to Christ. Who do you know that's the least likely person that will ever come to Christ? You've written them off. The same Jesus that cast this demon out of this boy is the same Jesus who saved Wally Hilgenberg, is the same Jesus who saved the apostle Paul. He glories in saving the least likely people. So we as the church need to stop walking around in fear and shame and be bold in our proclamation, not arrogant. We have no place for arrogance because we're just like Wally Hilgenberg. I know I've shared this with you, but when I became a pastor, I remember talking with a with a guy who ran a college ministry at, at UNI, BASIC was the name of the college ministry. And he said, oh, do you know Shannon Sanquist? Yeah, I know Shannon. We went to high school together. Tell Shannon hi. Two weeks later, hey, how you doing, Ed? Oh, good to talk to you. Yeah, did you tell Shannon hi? He goes, yeah, I told him. I said, I met Brooke Simpson. He's a pastor. And he's like, no, he's not. No, it was a different Brooke Simpson. It's not a joke. He wasn't joking. He's dead serious because the Brooke Simpson I know would not have come to Christ. Yeah, the demon was deeper, but I don't know who, but somebody was praying. God will use you. He will use us. He will use me when we despair of our own strength and we start to go to God with very, very unreasonable and unlikely prayer requests. So, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord. We don't deserve any of it, but you have given it to us. Lord, and we are in a culture now where the demon is certainly deeper. Father, I would pray that you would give us the sense to recognize that apart from you, we can't do anything. We can't lead our families. We can't lead ourselves. We can't bring our kids to Christ. We can't lead our neighbors to Christ. We can't overcome sin in our own lives. And we do believe all the promises of Scripture, but then we don't. So, Father, I'm praying that you would give us the faith to trust you and take you at your word and pray with boldness to the end, that Christ, you'd be exalted and you'd be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go in grace. We'll see you next week.